All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. So first of all, before I jump into this episode, I have to apologize for the delay in putting out new content. So the last few months, I've been settling in and getting organized into a new position with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield Association as their Director of Uniform Service Relations. So I'm putting all my advice on that topic of growing into your new role to personal use. But uh, I'm back. I'm going to try to get this content back up, be more consistent. I hope everyone's new year is going good and it's off to a great start. I am excited, uh, and so is my co-author Dan Richard, about the release of the new Petty Officer's Guide. So with the release of the Petty Officer's Guide, we now have this complete continuum of Naval Institute Blue and Gold Series books. So we have a Blue Jackets manual, Petty Officer's Guide, and then as you guys know, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. So Dan and I received our first 12 author copies we get. I signed those out. This guide is targeted towards the new to intermediate petty officer, but it also serves as a handy reference and refresher for more experienced petty officers. And like we wrote in the CPO guide, there's topics and then there's points of reflection. There's questions for you to pause and evaluate yourself and your competence and capability in the different areas. So we've introduced a bunch of great topics, things like growing into your new role, challenges such as transitioning from peer to being a supervisor, how to understand and use power bases and influence tactics. And you know, I talk extensively about that. Advice on improving your communication skills, how to build and leverage professional and personal peer connections, and then advice on advancement and preparing for commissioning programs and other boards. So a lot of great content, and that's just tip of the iceberg what's in there. And it's a great gift for those new petty officers at your command or in your family, or if you're a petty officer listening now, it's a great investment in your own personal and professional development. And you can check it out at usni.org backslash press backslash petty officers guide. So once I get more copies in my personal stock, I actually just got a bunch more. I'll be able to offer signed copies via the Cutlass Leadership Contest website. And then on the writing front, I'm excited that Tom Cutler, Mark Hockle, and I are coming down the home stretch of finalizing the 26th edition of the Blue Jackets Manual. So it's an honor and a privilege to be a co-author on that next edition. And that's due to be released in November of this year. And we're going through the copy editor review now. So I'll keep you updated on when that comes out, but that's going to be a great thing. So finally, a quick shout out to two of my colleagues. So Dean Howell and John Giardina for starting their new podcasts. Dean has started the Rising Sun, and that's S-O-N, not S-U-N, podcast. And John has started Photo Engage. So I recently, over the last couple of weeks, had the chance to catch up with them and exchange ideas, give advice on podcasts, and just let them know what I learned. So good luck to both of you guys on your podcast journey. Let's keep in touch and let's see how uh, we both proceed or we all proceed together. All right, so today we're going to finish up our series of episodes built around the situational leadership model and moving into the final leadership style or that quadrant of delegating. So this episode is going to build on two others that I did with colleague and uh, former shipmate Glenn Mallow, retired command mass chief. That was episode 34, leading with a directing style, and episode 37, how to better coach and support your team. So if you haven't listened to those, I encourage you to check those out because all these episodes build on each other and work you around that situational leadership model that you may or may not be familiar with. So as we've worked, right, we went from directing style, figuring out when you do that, how to approach that in the best way, and then we worked through coaching and supporting. We're finally left with that option of a delegating style of leadership. And delegation is defined as the act of empowering someone to act for another person. So I'm confident you've heard of this approach. You've probably got a general concept of what delegation is. You've probably seen it done. You've been on the receiving end. Perhaps you have done it. 
So in this process, you're really delegating decision-making authority for a given task or a project to another person that you've assessed has the competence and capability to do it. And effectively delegating is more than just asking someone to take care of something for you. It really does take skill and experience to do it right. And I hope to offer you some insights in addition to what you may have seen or heard about it in this episode. So there's many reasons you want to get your protégés and teams to this level of development and your and be able to use this leadership style because it's beneficial for you and it's definitely beneficial for the organization. So first of all, it's a management efficiency. Any of you been involved in any kind of leadership management in the Navy or outside knows usually there's so many things to be done, you just can't absolutely do them yourself. So you have to task out the supervision and the decision making for certain tasks that you're responsible for to other people. Because you can do that, you're now able to get many things done at once instead of doing things in a very singular fashion. Second, it's a tool of leadership management and decision making development. So when you delegate decision making, you're actually developing the people on your team that you want to develop, right? They gain experience. They have to consider things from different perspectives they may not be used to. And they really get a sense of what it's like to be in that position of leadership or management. Third, it's a way to unleash creativity and new approaches from the team. Hey, not everyone, and I'm going to mention this again, not everyone will solve problems or you know take a creative approach. But when you delegate decision-making and ownership for some part of a management responsibility you've got or a project, you unleash their creativity uh, and new approaches, and you might find more effective and efficient ways to do things. At the same time, it instills finally for ownership into the team for accomplishment. So the team is taking on ownership. And if you effectively delegate and avoid micromanaging, and we'll talk about that later, you can really instill levels of ownership into your organization. And that in turn will reap positive benefits. So your people are benefiting, the team's benefiting, you're benefiting as a leader and a manager. And ultimately, the organization should benefit when leaders and the leaders on the team can effectively delegate. But before you delegate, there's a couple of things you've got to be able to do. You've got to be able to assess when your person or team is ready for this leadership style. So from a risk management perspective, since you're going to basically be going hands and eyes off, you must be able to assess the risk and your delegate's ability to manage it. So how do you do that? So first of all, as if you've worked through the situational leadership model, right, you've been this person or the team, usually a person that you're going to delegate to, you've been evaluating their character and their competence as they move around this, right? And as they gain confidence and experience and you validate that they're the person that can do it, you should have a good sense that they're ready to accept the delegated authority you're going to give them. So first of all, you have to work through the situational leadership model. And I'll talk a little bit about this later and throughout this, but not every person that comes to your organization, and I think we've mentioned this on prior podcasts, you have to work through the full thing. You're going to get people who are very mature, competent, capable, that have done things maybe at a different command or a different organization, but they're very familiar. And you can ev- immediately or very quickly go to the delegating style of leadership. You don't have to work through directing and then into coaching and supporting. You might be able to go right to delegating. You also have to consider the complexity and the risk involved. So just because you could delegate to something, it might be complex and risk heavy in this case, and you need to have a personal presence there, right? So you might be, regardless of your well-intentioned and the capability of your person, there's so much risk and the outcomes are so severe that you have a responsibility that you just can't delegate out and you have to be there. Doesn't mean other people can't manage or direct the evolution, but you have to have eyes on target and that may not be a time where you're either 
should or you're comfortable being completely delegating to your team. You have to consider the availability of resources, right? So I may delegate, but if I don't have the appropriate tools, time, or resources or the appropriately trained people to do the thing I need to do or the person that you've delegated to doesn't have those things, you may want to reconsider whether you should be delegating or be more involved at that point. You should consider, is this a routine or an infrequent evolution, right? So if it's a routine thing, those are things that are routinely done. There's low risk. Those are things you want to delegate frequently. But if they're done infrequently, and again, that introduces risk, those are things where you want to make it really pause and really make sure that the person you're going to delegate to has the experience, that competence, and the character to do what you need to do and make the decisions on your behalf when you're not there or that you've delegated them to. And then finally, we all have a different level of risk tolerance. So you have to understand what's my level of risk tolerance? Am I comfortable, right? Some people are very comfortable delegating. Some people do it inappropriately and they, they're so comfortable they misdelegate. And I'll talk about that later. But some people are very uncomfortable with it. Or once they delegate, they just don't feel comfortable and they kind of come back and keep getting engaged. And then this leads to that thing of micromanagement. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, the balance of delegation and avoiding micromanagement when you don't need to. So there's a lot of things you got to consider. But again, that's why I told you it's not just something like, oh, delegation, this is easy. I'll just delegate to a person, go hands off and go on my merry way. There's some actual considerations and there's some experience that comes to it. So it comes with skill. You're going to find you're going to delegate um, the first time or a couple times you delegate. You're going to probably feel uneasy about it. Um, but as you go through, you're going to learn, you're going to gain experience and you'll be a better, better manager and leader because of it. So sometimes I'm asked, you know, when you delegate, are you completely hands off or do I subscribe to a trust but verify approach? And then what does that look like? So yes, just because you delegate, you have to remember you are still responsible and accountable for the tasks you delegate the authority for. So although you can delegate the authority, you are still responsible and will be held accountable for that outcome. You do want to get some kind of feedback on the task or project, right? And get a sense of what's involved before you do it. Again, you got to use your judgment, engage your feelings of trust in the person you've delegated to and the level of the task and the risk involved. So there's some cases where I know I had plenty of people I delegated to. In some cases, frankly, they were more experienced than I. I had the positional role as either chief petty officer, maybe a senior chief, maybe an LPO, works in our supervisor. But um, the people that work for me had more experience on a certain platform or doing a certain task or project. And once we did the briefing kind of thing, and I before I even delegated, you know, again, I gauged based on their level of competence, the complexity of the task and things. Once I talked to them, they gave me, you know, a sense of confidence that, hey, they've been there, done that. They were able, easily able to put me at ease that they were the right person I was delegating to. So again, you have to gauge your feelings of trust in the people or the team you're delegating to. Sometimes I'm going to go hands off, but for routine tasks, I was always a trust but verify. So yeah, I may not watch you do the actual thing, but I'm going to use things like paperwork checks. Uh, maybe I review some logs or reports or status to get a sense, right? Maybe I can use those tools to be involved and get a sense of the way the evolution went. For other evolutions, you'll want some periodicity of a verbal status report, right? So you'll want people that you've delegated to to come give you updates at certain checkpoints that you've discussed. Maybe it's at the end of the evolution. Maybe it's in more frequent periods. Again, complexity, risk, and this experience of the person you've delegated to all get into that decision making. So as the risk and complexity event goes up, your personal presence might be the right answer. So again, this doesn't mean you don't trust your team, 
But there's some things, frankly, that you should be there for because you've had experience doing more things. It's a learning opportunity for your other team, but you have to be there. And frankly, your leadership and your bosses expect you to be there as well. For example, you might have a competent and confident leader, but that person's team may be junior, right? So again, the leader's competent, but the team is junior. So you're like, hey, I need to be there just to kind of see how things are going or help coach and guide that uh, leader through with a junior team. Always remember, just because you're there, you know, or something's going on, a complex maintenance evolution or an operation or something, whatever it is, you may have delegated, you trust the team, you have full confidence, but your personal presence is still important because it's a way to allow the team to demonstrate their accomplishment or progress on the task, right? So when you engage, it may just be like, hey guys, what's going on? How are things going? They can give you feedback like, oh, check this out. Like, you know, you can engage with your team. They get to show off the work they've done. Or if they're running into resource constraints or something else, this is a part of the controlling function of management. So you don't outsource those management functions just because you've delegated to a team. And then also it's an opportunity for you to offer praise and to leverage a little bit of reward power for the team. And then finally, it also serves as a tool to watch team backup. So no matter how good the team Things could be distracting them. They could be getting fatigued without knowing it. You know, the whole boiling frog thing or normalized deviance can be kicking in. So yeah, you want to still come by, not in a very micromanaging way. You're just checking in, see how things go on, see if they need anything, and then get a general scan of things and make sure that your inner fuzzy is feeling good about how things are going. Or if you see something completely off, you can engage and reset the team as you need to. So ultimately, you have to make the decision. I can't make the decision for you. I don't know who you are. You've got your own personal attributes. You've got your own comfort level. You know your team. You know the people you've delegated to. You know the complexity of the tasks and the risks involved. So, And frankly, that's the pressure that comes with having the responsibility for the final outcome as a manager or leader. Those are some things to consider when you think about delegation and this trust but verify approach to delegation. So during my time in the Navy, we'd have these opportunities to assign people into roles as the acting whatever, right? For, so for example, if the command mass chief went on leave, a senior mass chief would be selected to fill what we called sit in the seat or fill the seat for that time of period where the person was gone on leave or perhaps at a school or something. Or perhaps as a leading petty officer or work center supervisor, they were transferred without a relief and there's a gap. And when this is done, you got to find someone to fill in that position until the the relief gets on board. When that happens, there may be a question of whether this is really delegation or something else, right? So here's some of my insights on that, how you consider when you're going to have someone filling in in that acting role. So first of all, you got to remember... You are formally in that given position for a reason, right? You've been vetted, selected to fulfill the responsibilities due to your experience and character. In some cases, you've done a qualification process, you've done interviews, you've gone through a selection board, right? So you are there for a reason. So some of the tasks assigned to the position can be performed by others, but again, others will need your decision to be made. So, And then some legally can't be delegated, right? So although someone's quote-unquote filling the seat, There's decisions that they cannot make legally on your behalf. So be sure to clearly articulate what you expect and the boundaries of decision-making, what right, what they can and can't do in your absence, right? It's not just like, all right, here you go. You're the command mass chief now, or you're the leading petty officer now. Go do whatever, make all your decisions. There are boundaries and there's limitations to that. So you have to sit down and discuss that with the person. 
Second, take the situational leadership approach. So again, I've talked about this. So you identify a protege or a high potential candidate, and then you start to engage them with these opportunities with coaching and supporting. So before you let them take the seat, you give them the opportunities to watch you publicly. You let them watch you behind the scenes, right? When you get a unique problem you're trying to solve, invite them in and see how you think through it or talk through like, what would you do? Like, here's why I do what I do kind of thing. And then use your experience to explain why that approach that they propose will work or why it won't work or help explain things that they may not be considering. So again, before you let them take the seat, there's this kind of situational leadership approach of coaching uh, that goes first, right? And then once you've made the decision, hey, I feel confident, you know, I've let people know this is the person I'm going to have sitting in for me. When you're away, you want to make yourself available for phone calls and emails or you periodically call the person to check in and see if they need anything or if they get any questions or situations they've run into, right? So again, because they're filling the seat, there may be points and you should have explained this before that. Like, hey, if certain things happen or this happens or this decision needs to be made, call me, email me, and I'll make the decision. And then they can execute the decision on your behalf, knowing again that you are responsible and accountable for that outcome. Another thing I would advise is make sure to discuss these plans, who you're going to have sit in the seat with your boss or supervisor, and then again, get their concerns and limits regarding the decision making and their feel with the person. You know, I had that opportunity to do that on several different times sitting in the seat. And then and sometimes that involved early morning stand-up meetings or closeout meetings with that boss or supervisor. In some cases, they would challenge me to like actually give me my, you know, get my insights or, you know, let me make a decision. I believe a lot of that was vetted and that was thought out. It was just not taken lightly. So again, before you delegate, make sure you let your boss or supervisor know that so-and-so is going to be in the seat and give them that warm sense that you've talked through the limits and the boundaries of, of that delegation, the decision-making, but then also talk through like what things that they can do or how they can challenge this person in the seat as a learning opportunity. And then once that stand and that stand and period is done, you know, get feedback, right? So again, this kind of concept of feedback, right? It's not just an individual. So get feedback from the team being led on how the person led, get feedback from their peers on how they did, and then finally get feedback from your boss and supervisor. And then when you get that, again, sit the person down, give them performance feedback. I'm telling you, all of us have to grow, right? That's what this is about. When you're letting this person sit in the seat or, or kind of take that gap billet for a bit, again, it's an opportunity to learn and grow and it shouldn't be done lightly. So those are things, uh, and that's my advice on selecting and then helping people manage through those times when you need them to sit, when you're going to be absent for a short amount of time, but they're not going to formally take over the position. All right, so I mentioned this earlier. Despite your best efforts, you're going to probably misdelegate or overdelegate. Despite your best intentions, you're going to make a decision to delegate and it's just not going to work. So I want to first go over some of the symptoms you may see and then Let's talk about how we get the person or the team or back on track if we see that. You've delegated, right? And people are out there doing, right? And maybe you feel confident and you're not really doing that trust but verify thing. Here's some things, again, in that controlling function of management you should keep an eye for. So first of all, are projects missing their timelines, right? So are things not getting on time? That's maybe something, right? Without you knowing why. Is work and the project not being performed or delivered to standards, are you seeing a lack of communication within the team or between you and the team? There may be decision paralysis, right? So there's decisions that are trying, you know, should be made and you're noticing decisions aren't getting made for some reason. That's because there's some team decision or leader decision paralysis. 
the team may ex- start to express frustration to you in certain ways, right? It could be very covert and it can be very overt. So you want to keep an eye out for that. And then you might have that, again, that gut feeling as you're walking around that you need to get in. I'm not going to say this is necessarily micromanagement, but you get this gut, strong gut feeling that, man, I've got to get involved. Something's not right. Those are all symptoms of you know, either over-delegated, you know, given too much for the team to handle or the person to handle at the time or misdelegated, gave the person too much responsibility or decision-making power that they were ready to and you just simply assessed wrong. And that's okay. So the first thing I'm going to say is if you start feeling those things, right, don't rush to blame the team or the person you've delegated to. So you start with yourself as the leader or manager, right? And you start asking, right, okay, did I assess the team right? You know, go through this checklist. Do they have the resources they need? Were the timelines right? Did I give them the training and the education they need? All those kind of things. Take a breath. Don't get angry. Don't get, you know, all in a hissy and rush out and start yelling at your team because I've seen that and all that's going to do is piss people off. So you're going to huddle the team and just refocus. Have a discussion with them. What's going on, guys? Is there something you needed? You know, did you not, ex- uh, you know, understand timelines? Do you not know the standards, right? You're going to have this. You're going to get this feedback. If you do this in the right way, the team will reveal what they need, why they feel perhaps not in a position to make a, a decision. Maybe perhaps, it, you know, they don't have the experience or they don't have any kind of sense to how to gauge the decision they're going to be making. Have that team refocus them, reset expectations. And then if you're comfortable still delegating, right? Go ahead and do that. You may find that you delegated to the wrong person. The person's just not in the position. Then you may have to step in and take over the leadership of that evolution or not. Again, we're all susceptible. If that happens, it's okay. Just realize that there's things you can do and there's way to engage to get the team back on track. At the same time, you don't want to get into this concept of micromanagement. So let's get into micromanagement and how I see that fitting into the situational leadership model. So this is an interesting thing from my perspective. So whenever I've heard of this kind of or seen this micromanagement situation come up, there's definitely two lines of thinking, right? There's the the leader manager and how they see it, right? And then there's also how the team sees it. In general, some people just the term micromanagement, some people just see it as like it's a flawed personality trait in a person, right? Some say it's a poor management style. I see it more, and I'll, I won't disagree that either one of those, you know, some people do have these personality traits that lead them to control and and not be able to let people, the, the team thrive and people take ownership and control uh, of events and things like that. So that, that those things people got to be aware of and eventually adjust them. Yeah, it could be a poor management style, right, or a misplaced management style, but it can also be a mismatch of the developmental leadership styles and perspectives on empowerment. So again, it's probably in many cases, uh, you know, a symptom of misdelegation, right? Different people see this differently. The leader typically sees or the manager that there's a lack of responsibility and accountability, and this is an individual and team failure. And that's in the case of micromanagement, not in the healthy way that you approach misdelegation. On the flip side, you know, here comes the micromanager and starts giving orders, you know, just kind of obviously directing things from a perspective or stepping over the person they delegated to. And the team sees it as perhaps not feeling good enough or perhaps that manager thinks they're untrustworthy, right? So there's a lot of opportunity here for frustration. Communication is not done right. Ultimately, if you don't handle this, what it leads to, you start directing and you take away the empowerment that delegation gives and their creativity. You're going to see decreased motivation, Morale is going to go down or be impacted. Trust in you is going to go down. 
creativity is going to be hindered. I mean, frankly, in some cases, the health of your team and stress level is going to go down as stress levels go up. Productivity is going to probably go down because people are going to be like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to take the initiative. I'm just going to sit here and wait to tell me what you want me to do, how you want me to do it kind of thing. So you actually end up decreasing productivity. And then you're going to increase frustration, like I said, and you're going to increase resentment in the team. So those are outcomes that no leader or manager wants. So again, gauge your team, sense what they're saying, right? If you feel that need to to reach in, look at it. Don't look at it as like a team failure. Start thinking about, okay, let me put this in the context of delegation and misdelegation and start with yourself again. Again, have you picked the right person in the right team? Did you clearly communicate the standards and timelines? Did you train and coach, you know, using the full range of the situational leadership model? And then finally, are resources available? And resources is time too, right? So maybe you have misrepresented the amount of time that it's going to take to do something. You've pressurized the team, right? So there's a lot of things that can go on. Again, huddle the team, huddle the person you've delegated to, open the channels of feedback. Don't be personal about this, right? The team wants to succeed. I'm convinced of that. The team does not come to work wanting to screw things up and you know do things below standards. So you're going to find out what the answer is and then you can reset. And then finally, understand they are all not you. I had a commanding officer, Ron Horton, told me this, right? Just because they're not doing things the way you would exactly want them to or to the timeline you necessarily would or with the sense of urgency you would or they don't solve the problem the way you would doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong. They may just be using a different leadership style. They may be solving the problem differently, or they may be under a different sense of urgency. So start by realizing they're not all you. Pause. As long as they're getting it done safely within standards to the timelines you've got identified, let the team go. Um, Offer your insights and advice like, hey, consider that. Have you considered this? Or, hey, one way you could do it, right? But if they elect not to go that way, then you have to be in a position to be able to accept that and let the team move on, right? And then ideally, once the whole thing is done and you know, you've delegated and completed the task, another time to huddle the team and do that debrief feedback. Okay, what went well? How, how would, what could we have done better? Did we communicate well, right? How did I do delegating to the team? Even if the team did something in a different way and you offered a more efficient solution to something and they didn't elect to do it, got it. You didn't do it, we'll huddle, we'll talk, and then you can go, hey, this is why I offered that solution or that way to do things. And again, perhaps they take it on board. If you're doing it the right way, more often than not, they will take it on board and they'll learn for the next time. So I think that's going to cover it for this episode, talking about delegation. I hope I've given you a lot to think about. Delegation is a learned and practiced skill. So take some time this week or in the next few weeks to reflect on this skill of delegation. Go to work, think about what I've offered, look around, think about your experiences with delegation. Think about those people that have you consider micromanagers and, and talk through it. Learn from other people, right? Maybe other people have struggled with micromanagement and they've learned to do it. This is a great topic to watch. And then um, again, you don't get better without practicing it. So go out there and look for opportunities to get delegation and then also look for opportunities to delegate to those high potential and maybe not even high potential, right? You might have a you know an aspiring you know young petty officer or worker in your team and they just lack the confidence, right? So you're going to, you might assess and you know like, hey, they might not be looking for the opportunity, but you assess they've got that character, the competence, and you want to give them a chance. So you select something that you know is well within their capability. 
something they can achieve a success and a win on and you delegate, right? And it's a confidence builder. So there's all kinds of reasons that you want to delegate. So give me your feedback. What questions do you have? What approaches have you had? What are your recommendations on delegation? I'll address those in the beginning of the next episode. And then chapter four, the Chief Petty Officer's Guide and chapter one of the Petty Officer's Guide both offer insights and advice on the skill of delegation. And then you can always reach out to me at paul at cutlessleadership.com to offer me feedback and insights. I'll take those, take them on board, and then I'll address them on the next episode. So as always, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your favorite podcast channel or channels, like it, share it. Help me spread this content to those who can use it to improve. And then make sure to check out my website at cutlessleadership.com for access to the Cutlass podcast, blog pieces, and then information on how to order the Chief Petty Officer and Petty Officer's Guides. And as always, I'm always available to give talks in person or via Zoom or Teams platforms. Again, just reach out to me on my social media, personal message me, or hit me up on email. This is Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep that leadership cutlass sharp. Reflect and improve and take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who dares to make a positive difference in the personal and professional lives of others.